Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, because that's what the Bible's all about. It's about the Kingdom of God, which is at hand. And again, like we've said many times, Jesus came and told the Pharisees, who were sitting in the seat of Moses, which we'll see here in Matthew, that he was going to take the Kingdom away from them. Well, they weren't dead. They weren't in heaven. They weren't someplace in an afterlife. They were right there running the government. It was supposed to be a government of the people for the people and by the people under God. But it wasn't anymore. It was the people under Herod and under Rome. And they had gone literally back into the bondage of Egypt again under the Roman Empire and under Herod. But, of course, Herod was dead now. And uh, he had died when Jesus was a small boy, uh, hiding in Egypt, where evidently at the same time, according to what we've been looking at in our studies, uh, John the Baptist was hiding in Parthia. <laughs> Why were they hiding? Because they were a threat to the government. And of course, uh, Moses was a threat to the government of Egypt. And so they wanted to get rid of him. And Jesus was a threat when he was a child. And they wanted to get rid of him. And actually, we've made reference to the fact that the ancient stories of Israel uh, also include that Abraham was a threat to the kings of Ur. And uh, his brother was evidently executed. And his father went to Haran. But then Abraham discovered that, uh, I don't know how he discovered it, I guess something was writing upon his heart and upon his mind. And uh, he realized that it wasn't that I was in Ur. And now that I'm in Haran, that I'm okay. But it's this idea of the city-state itself. There's a problem. Well, what was the city-state? I mean, there's all kinds of city-states. There's all kinds of systems of government that were used in Greece and in Italy and and all over the Roman Empire. They had different city-states. But they began to conform to a a particular pattern, a a means and a method. And despite what uh, Ovid wrote and what... uh, The Romans say the end doesn't always justify the means. (laughs) As a matter of fact, the end is a product of the means. And that's something that we should, that's part of the keys to the kingdom, which we've just uh, studied earlier in Matthew. You can go back and listen to our previous recordings uh, on where it talks about the keys of the kingdom. What are the keys? Because he tells us in several chapters, he tells us, tells us what the keys to the kingdom are. He didn't just tell Peter. He didn't just give them to Peter because we see in another chapter, he's talking about the keys of the kingdom, the very thing that he describes as the keys to the kingdom. He's describing it to other people. 
and saying, these are the keys to the kingdom. But if somebody has distracted you and think that he was giving the keys to the kingdom to Peter, you might have followed a religious philosophy or even the the protesters of that religious philosophy into an apostasy, into systems where you say, Lord, Lord, but you're actually workers of iniquity. When we get up into chapter 23 of Matthew we will find out that there are certain people that are counted as workers of iniquity that uh, are extortioners. We see the word extortion mentioned by Matthew. It's also mentioned by Paul. And they make reference to the fact that this relates to Psalms 109. And so what does it say in Psalms 109, verse 11? It talks about extortioners that are returning evil for good. And 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 there's a prayer in Psalms 109, which we'll cover when we, we get to that strange word extortioner. But in the Hebrew, the word extortioner is the word for lender. Somebody who lends you money. Now are they talking about the the local credit union down there, or are they talking about a bank that loans you money? Are they or are they talking about the Federal Reserve that loans you all the money that's in your bank account and in your purse and in your wallet, you know? It has loaned you all the money because we now call loaned out debt notes money. And we use it as if it is money. It doesn't have anything to do with it. Just weights or measures. Because a hundred hundred dollar bills weigh just as much as a hundred one dollar bills. So it's not about weight. Because what the value of that bill is, is actually composed of two things. It's what says that bill is on the face of the bill. The face we may be a respecter of the face of that bill and say, well, one dollar's worth one dollar, and this one says on the face a hundred dollars, so it's worth a hundred dollars. But they're both just pieces of paper. But we respect what it says on there, and we use it as if it's money. But it's actually debt notes. Now, people can say, well, that doesn't make any difference. That doesn't have anything to do with my heart. Well, that may be true, but it probably makes a difference, which is why they changed it. <laughs> they they were doing one thing, and now they're doing another. And it certainly is having an effect on everything that you're buying in the store today, because it takes a lot more of those notes to buy it. <laughs> because... The value of the notes is going down because less and less of people around the world are respecting the face of those notes. They're saying, ah, $100 not worth what $100 used to be. You know, a dollar's not worth what a dollar used to be. So it's going to take you more dollars to buy your groceries. It's going to take you more dollars to buy your gas. You know, and because they keep printing so many of them. And they print many of them because you want lots of benefits. 
You've become greedy for gain. But the gain you get today by the notes they print today is the loss you'll receive tomorrow. Which is what the prayer of Psalms 109 is really all about. Which is why they have mentioned extortioners. Which is just the Hebrew word. Uh, let's see, what is that Hebrew word? Naashash. Uh, it's nun shin. Uh, hey, <laughs> that's what it is. I can tell you in the Hebrew better. I can tell you from uh, uh, memory. But anyway, uh, how you pronounce that, that will be up to the Hebrew scholars. But the reality is the word just means lender. It That's what it means. But it says that he wants those people who give evil for good and etc., he wants them to have everything of the extortioners. He wants them to have everything caught. It says catch all that he has. Well, actually that word there, it's similar. Some of the same letters, but it's different. It means to ensnare. It means that they want to ensnare all that you have. And so that your labor belongs to somebody else. Doesn't belong to you anymore. Well, it's amazing that in almost every single country around the world, today, the citizens of those countries, only a portion of their labor belongs to them. In some cases, most of their labor belongs to the government. other cases, only a portion of their labor but that's just right out of the box. That's the, the the labor. And I've told this story many times. When I was seven years old, I asked my dad who he worked for. He was an attorney. Uh, uh, he actually taught law. He uh, wrote law books. But he was an attorney for years. He passed the bar exam in numerous states. I heard the other day that you can now become a lawyer in Oregon without passing the bar. <laughs> I don't know what requirements they have, but you don't have to do that. But anyway, he was a lawyer and he was fairly successful. And he and he said, well, until July 1st, I work for the government. After that, I work for myself. Now, he wasn't any kind of a rebel or anything. <laughs> he wasn't some kind of radical. He just understood. He's very precise in his language. That... Yeah, I don't work for myself until I have fulfilled my tax liability. Because <laughs> he, he was in a very high tax bracket. After that, he worked for himself. And that's kind of the way it is for a lot of people today. They they don't own their labor. And you know why they don't own their labor? Because they've been giving evil for good. And uh, they have been workers of wickedness and iniquity. And they have played with extortioners. <laughs> so they have gone back into the... That was the bondage of Egypt, right? That a percentage of your labor belonged to the government, to the Pharaoh. 20%, one-fifth of all the labor of everybody who lived in Egypt belonged to the Pharaoh. Except for the priests. The priests were excluded. But then we have to define what a priest is. I, I saw a, a prep group this morning pretty early, 5 o'clock, something like that, uh, on Facebook. And they they gave uh, several biblical quotes 
and they're a Christian prep group, whatever that. You know, to me, if you want to prepare, why don't you start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? And that doesn't mean seeking to go to heaven. That means seek that kingdom that Jesus was talking about when he said, I was going to take the kingdom away from you guys who are sitting in the seat of Moses, and I'm going to give it to different guys who are going to bear fruit. And then we see him talking to the apostles after he had already said to the apostles, who he called his little flock, that I, I, it is my pleasure to appoint unto you a kingdom. He said that to them. And then we see him appointing the kingdom to them. But he's not saying that this kingdom is for after you die. He's saying, I don't want this kingdom that I'm appointing to you to be like the kingdoms of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. He said he didn't want you to be like those governments of the Gentiles. So he's actually appointing a government. He's not talking about pie in the sky. He's talking about today, now, for the people, for the living, that he was going to appoint to them a government. But it wasn't, when we say government, we have to remember, it's not like the governments we see all around us today or that they saw all around them in those days. It's a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, according to Wycliffe. But it's a government of charity. It's not a government of force, because that's John the Baptist. He wasn't doing it by force. He was doing it by charity. Jesus was doing it by charity. All the apostles were doing it by charity. They were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They were the table of the Lord, the Corban of Christ, because they knew that the Corban of the world, the table of the world, the dainties of rulers... The wages of unrighteousness. These are all quotes right out of the Bible that people read over and have no idea what they're reading. That those are a snare and a trap like those extortioners lay out for you. That ensnare everything you own so that you own nothing and they expect you to be happy. <laughs> are you happy? Uh, well, I'm happy. But uh, that's because God gives me happiness. Uh, I asked many years ago, what's the truth? What is it I'm missing? And as soon as I started finding out, I started sharing it. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to share it with you. What you've been missing. But you've been missing it because you've been listening to blind guides. You've been sitting in darkness just like the Pharisees. Sitting in darkness. And so we're going to try to bring light where there was darkness. And sometimes that's going to get uncomfortable. But if you stick with us, or go back and listen to all, you know, we have thousands probably or hours of recordings. I know we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of recordings. Going through different parts of the Bible, showing you what the words actually meant at that time. What it meant to the people at that time. What they started doing differently. I mean, in Egypt, 
20% of your labor, one-fifth of your labor belonged to the government. And somehow they increase that burden. And we'll see where Jesus is talking about the scribes and the Pharisee increasing the burden on the people. And we've already seen to some degree that Herod had set up a system of baptism where you were registered. Some of the apostles we know were not registered because it tells us that in the Bible. It says they're idiotes, which means not registered. But the translators translated a little bit peculiar, but it's hard to translate. But if you know the history a little bit, when you read the words, you'll know what they mean. But if you don't know the history, you won't know what they mean. So if you have blind guides who don't know the history, they'll say that they were unlearned. They, 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 they weren't very smart. I actually heard a preacher just the other day talking about how, you know, actually, uh, I started going through a course at Hillsdale College. Hope to end up making a series out of that. It was a free course. And it's about Christianity. And I've got at least three pages of errors and I've only got up to the first, <laughs> first, uh, lecture. <laughs> uh, I, the introduction, I had a whole page of errors on the introduction. Now Jesus was this simple guy born in a little village to a father who was a carpenter and lived this simple life. They weren't fancy people or anything. Well, well, we know that you know, Mary's uncle was one of the richest men in all the Roman Empire. <laughs> and she was down there scroveling in this poor little village. We know that Paul says Jesus was rich. But he, he made himself poor. But he was rich. Now, you can interpret that a lot of different ways. You can think, well, that, they, they didn't mean money. But the historical record is that Jesus was fabulously wealthy. Joseph was wealthy. And it appears, according to much of the writings in the early days, that he wasn't even a carpenter. <laughs> he was uh, head of construction crews, and mostly to deal with stone, making things out of stone, not carpentry. And the Greek words that we find in the text don't contradict that. But your guides do. And it, it's not that essential whether he was a carpenter. He, he, he built things. There's no two ways about that. Joseph did. We don't know that Jesus ever was a carpenter. He was called the carpenter's son. But, you know, since he was around the age of 12, he said, I have to be about my father's business. And he wasn't talking about Joseph. He was talking about telling the truth. About the Torah and what it really meant. And he was impressing scholars when he was pretty darn young. At least that's what the Bible tells us. So if that's his father's business, he might have known a little bit about carpentry or stonemasonry. But that's not what he was doing. And he wasn't poor. He was well to do. And there's lots of reasons to believe that. And we have an article up to help you go through that. But that's that's not a question of faith. That That's just a question of circumstance. But if you understand those circumstances, 
then you may have an answer to why though he was rich, he made himself poor. How did he do that? What was he doing? Why was he telling his apostles and the rich man who wanted to do more than keep the commandments, he said you had to give up all you had. Give it away. Come follow me. And like I said, we'll see Hoses, who was a Levite in Cyprus, doing the same thing. Well, he's talking to you about the requirements of the church. That they called out, because that's what he's talking The ones that are to follow him directly, walk with him, become a disciple, learn, a disciple is a student, learn all these extra things. They have to give up all they have and follow him. Because they're going to play a particular role in this peculiar kingdom with peculiar people. That is a government that is operating by free will offerings instead of the forced offerings like all those other governments out there in in the world of the Gentiles. And then, of course, just saying the word, the world of the Gentiles. What is What word is that? We go through all these things. But if we just start off, we got a little bit of time here before the break, we'll just start off in this, this chapter, chapter 21. We want to be in chapter 21, which is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And there was a lot of controversy before he entered into Jerusalem. And he was warned not to go. They feared for his life. And of course, that's why he is hiding in Egypt for a while. And, and John the Baptist was hiding in Parthia, or at least according to some writings, first in a cave and then evidently ended up in Parthia. Cause there was all this intrigue going on. And then I, I read about the Sanhedrin finding so much corruption amongst their members that they the majority walked out. No more quorum. The majority walked out because it was so corrupt. They just said, oh, we're not having anything to do with this anymore. Of course, other men, other corrupt men came in right away and they had a new Sanhedrin. That was the corrupt Sanhedrin. But where was the real Sanhedrin? The, the one that was righteous. Is there another Sanhedrin? Well, of course, Jesus talks about it all the time. Because Sanhedrin is 70. And Jesus appointed 70. And that was his Sanhedrin. And he had his high priest, which was John the Baptist. And he had his laver, which was the Jordan River. And they had another laver over there in the temple built by Herod. But somebody had been murdered in that temple. And so once you, we know even still today, Churches know that if you murder somebody in the church, the church has to be reconsecrated. It's no longer a bona fide church. <laughs> Not that that, it has to be reconsecrated. And of course, that's what Christ came to do, but not to reconsecrate a stone temple of dead stone, but a living temple of living stone. And, and he's looking for those stones. <laughs> To make his altars of living stones and altars of clay, which are the free assemblies, the free congregations of the people gathering in a government of liberty and choice, always putting choice back in the hands of the people. 
That that is the character of the kingdom. Because choice, exousia, the liberty of choice, as it, exousia is the Greek, exousia is is where liberty resides. But you need God in your heart to do that. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're going to go through this uh, chapter 21, but because this is always a continuation, we'll, we'll pull these chapters together because there is these, the Gospels, you know, the four Gospels that we have there, there are whole Gospels. If, and that's what those preppers were doing. They were taking several different verses, all of which I believe are true, but what they think those verses mean may not be true because of the fact that their teachers that have taught them about those verses may be leaving out other verses that are very important to put them into context. You're taking quotes out of context and that is dangerous. Because it may mislead you to believe a gospel that is not complete, which is what a lie is. A lie is the truth, but not the whole truth. And if you don't have the whole truth, you don't have the truth, you have a lie. And so we're always tying these together with all these other verses so that we don't leave any part of the message out. And that's why it takes a little while to get through all these verses. In chapter 20, they start right out, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder. It didn't say it's like unto a place you go after you die. He's telling you what it's like. Because he's preaching that that's what you should be seeking here today on this earth. Not in of the world, but in the world. But of course, when he's talking about in the world and of the world, he's talking about the constitutional order or system of government. That's the direct quote right out of the concordance for the definition of the word world that Jesus' kingdom is not of. It's not of it because he makes no covenants with it. He makes no agreements with it. He does not eat at its table like everybody else does today, and like most of the people of Judea were doing at that particular time. And we've shown you how the the free bread system of Corbin set up by Herod and the Pharisees was supplemented by donations from Augustus Caesar, who right away in that first lecture on the course about Christianity, Kenneth, refers to Augustus as a God and a benefactor. Because as the Son of God, because Caesar was called, Augustus Caesar was called the Son of God, even Julius Caesar was called the Son of God. This is a title. They were called this because of the benefaction that they bestowed at the temples that provided them with free bread. They were called benefactors. And he used a particular word, benefactor. And Jesus uses that word, benefactor, in the Greek. We don't, we don't see it in Mark, but we see it in Luke. But Mark and Matthew are quoting 
the same event, which we see in chapter 20, where he was talking about, you know, he starts off talking about laborers in the vineyard. And he makes a contract with the laborers. That if you go and work in the vineyard, I will give you this much money. And they all go to work in the vineyard. And then he finds more people idle and he says, well, you go work in the vineyard and I, I will pay you. And and then, you know, in the ninth hour and, and the, the sixth hour, the eleventh hour, all these different laborers showing up in the vineyard to work. And then he goes and pays them all. And some people complain that some people are getting paid the same as that. We worked all day. And you're paying it. Well, I'm doing what we agreed to. Why are you concerned? Is it not lawful to do with mine own what I will? If it's lawful for God to do what he wishes with what he owns, if you become the property of somebody else like the Pharaoh... Isn't it lawful for him to do with you what he wills? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the that's the problem. That's the problem of making covenants with unbelievers. Who people do who don't believe in love. They believe in force. That they they believe in tyranny. They they believe in biting one another. They they believe in devouring who they will. And if you make covenants with them, they will likely devour you. And that's why their table is a snare. If you eat at their table, you you may become... I mean, that's how they got into the bondage of Egypt. They ate at the table of the Pharaoh. They got They got free bread, free grain. They didn't have any money to pay for it. And he said, well, I'll give you free grain. But you have to give me one-fifth of your labor from now on. And that, that's what brings you back into the bondage of Egypt. And that, that isn't necessarily that your soul is in bondage, but it's a great temptation because when you start eating of the dainties of rulers, you know, Proverbs tells us put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. So you should, if you're seeking the kingdom, you want to be eating at the table of the Lord. And we're not just talking a crumb of bread. We're talking about your daily bread, your welfare, your your uh, Medicare, your Medicaid, your health care. All those things that are provided by men who exercise authority should be provided by men who exercise love. That's what the church is. If you want to be a prepper, that's what you should be looking for. That's going to be hard to find because it's hard to find men who... Want to live by love, by faith, by hope, by charity, which is love. It's hard to find those guys. I mean, they're out there. You have to work at finding them. And a lot of people can become discouraged. That was a topic on our minister call with ministers around the country. That it's hard to find those people and people can become discouraged. Because everybody has an idea of the gospel in their head and, and everybody's making excuses, you know, like, oh, well, I, I believe what Jesus says it's not enough. But I say I believe. I confess with my lips. Because they heard Paul say that. Of course, they, you have to leave out all the other things that, that Paul says about those who have no inheritance in the kingdom. You can't be those extortioners or boasters or fornicators or 
licentious or all these other things because you have no inheritance in the kingdom. Even if you confess with your lips. Because with every other fiber of your being, you're confessing that you don't believe in the Lord. And James says the same thing. So you say you have faith, but you don't have works. I think your faith's dead. It's not real faith. It's a strong delusion of faith, but it's not real faith. But in, in that chapter 20, we get down to a verse that we see in 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said. Now he's telling this to the apostles. You know the princes of the Gentiles. The rulers, you know, of the Gentiles. Who exercise dominion over the Gentiles. over the, They have authority over them. Now, that authority may be greater in one country or less in another country, but they have authority over their choices. They can make choices for the people. And say, now you all have to do this, or you all have to do that, or you all have to wear masks, or you know, like, I I know somebody who is a part of the government who, before COVID even came out, before anybody knew what the word COVID was, All across the country, there were bills showing up in the legislature to force vaccinations in case of a pandemic. Now, those things have been around for a long time. You can go all the way back to 1906 and find them in Oregon. Uh, Of course, I went back and looked. (laughs) So, But... uh, why just before a pandemic breaks out are they in multiple states trying to pass laws that allow them to force vaccinations in your state? Well, that's quite a coincidence. Either that's a conspiracy of men or a conspiracy of evil. I don't know. <laughs> but somebody spoke up and it didn't happen in Oregon. They didn't, it didn't get voted on in the legislature. They killed it before it got in. It was about to be put before the legislature. They had enough votes to do it. But somebody spoke up. God put somebody somewhere and he spoke up and it didn't happen. It didn't go in front of the legislature. It didn't get passed. And there's a lot more to that story. But let's finish this here. But he says, They exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Now he's talking to that little flock again, the apostles. But whoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whoever whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And then the next verse is he's giving sight to the blind. And that's what we hope to do is give sight to the blind. Because a lot of people are blind to what that's all about. We'll find the same basic quote in Mark 10.42 and in Luke 22.25. And in Luke twenty two twenty five, he goes on to say, you know, the same thing, but he, ye shall not be so. And in Luke 25, they use that word, those who exercise authority upon them are called 
benefactors. And like I said in this course, and I don't know if they'll get to it eventually, Augustus is called a benefactor. And of course I've said before, Augustus's real name was Octavius. Augustus had to do with him being the savior of the people. The son of God. And a benefactor. But he was a benefactor who exercised authority. He took away from one group to give to another. Jesus wasn't that kind of benefactor. He was a benefactor who exercised love. And if you're going to come in the name of Jesus, you're going to follow the way of Jesus, then you have to gather together in love and become benefactors to one another. You can't just sit in your pew and say, oh yeah, I love all those guys. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to love all those people. Because if you do that, you're neglecting real love. Because if you go back to that Psalms 109 that I talked about, where it talks about the extortioners, which are lenders, and they they talk about all, all the stuff that they have is going to be caught, ensnared. But that word ensnare actually comes from a word that means neglect. So these extortioners, you know, actually both words, extortioner and catch, it, it suggests the idea of neglect. Neglect what? Neglect love. Neglect care for one another. That you're, yeah, you'll help people out. You'll loan them money, but only if you profit from it. Because you don't really care. You know, you, you might even take care of the poor and the sick and, you know, like the Good Samaritan, the guy in the ditch. But you only want to do it for money. Well, the money's running out. Because like I said, all that stuff you call money ain't really money. <laughs> It looks like money, and it may, you know, what we imagine to be money, but it's losing its value, and it's losing it rapidly, and it may speed up, as we've seen in so many countries throughout history. And you can go and, you know, get your gold and silver, and you can go buy a bunch of grain or, or beans and stock up and all that stuff, and maybe God's leading you to do that. I have no idea, but I know what God said. He said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because you don't want to be in your foxhole with a bunch of guys that are willing to take a bite out of one another (laughs) when they desire something. When they want their bellies filled or their backs filled or their back scratched. You do not want to be gathering with those people who want to bite one another. You want to be gathering with people who love one another, who want to serve one another. And so, Jesus is bringing this message. He's taking it all the way to the capital. And that's where we start in Matthew. He's starting with, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. 
And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them with them. He'll say, yeah, they, you can take them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, and a foal of an ass. So, where does it say that? Well, it says something like that in Zechariah 9, nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So, the... There's a reference here to the Old Testament. Right here in the Acts of Jesus and what he's doing. He's tying them together. Because in truth, the message of Moses was identical to the message of Jesus. Now people say, well that's ridiculous. We had to do, you know, kill all these animals and burn up all the sheep and all this stuff. Well that's what the Pharisees told you. But Jesus told you that the Pharisees had it wrong. He told the Pharisees they had it wrong. He said, if you actually knew Moses, you would know me because I'm telling you what Moses told you. And Moses spoke of me. And of course we saw earlier in the Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they're all in agreement. It's all you religionists out there that have the disagreement. That's why you got 40,000 denominations. You should have one denominator in your church. And that's what Christ said. I sent to a home church group a little thing on, you know, because they, they made some statement and I make little comments and then send one of our pages to them. And he, he said, is this a Roman Catholic thing? <laughs> I, thought, I went to the page and I thought, like, what did he see there? Because the page is basically, it's all the red letter words of Jesus. And, and I put it together after I went and looked at the doctrines of all kinds of churches. And I found that generally speaking, the doctrines of churches have less than 20% of their doctrine is actually the words of Jesus. I thought the words of Jesus were enough for your doctrine. But you not only exclude the words of Jesus from their doctrines, you know, picking and choosing, like we said at the beginning, you know, whether taking quotes out of context. But then they add in all this stuff that really isn't their doctrine. And so I always say, you know, I'll talk about a lot of things. I'll write about a lot of things. But the doctrine of the church is the doctrine of Christ. It's not my doctrine. I'm just having a conversation with you, sharing with you, so that you 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 get an idea of what other guys, blind guides, haven't told you. Verse 6, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put the, them there, clothes, and they set him thereon. So they they put like some clothes on the top of the, you know, like a saddle. And so he could sit on there and ride. And a, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from trees and strawed them on the way. So the, even the, the, 
the uh, donkey's feet did not have to touch the ground. Now, of course, that's, if you know that's part of the tradition, we talked about this in the case of Aristobulus and Hyrcanus, who invited the Romans in to begin with. Aristobulus did, Hyrcanus didn't. But eventually, Hyrcanus was declared the king. And he comes marching in uh, to uh, Jerusalem. And uh, I think he actually rode on something as well. This was the tradition. But the people didn't like him so much, which is kind of why Aristobulus was rebelling. But Aristobulus tried to establish a different king that was less corrupt by force. Jesus wasn't going to do that. He was going to do it by the way of the Father. And so, but Hyrcanus got, they they pulled off branches too, palm branches for Hyrcanus, but they actually hit him with some <laughs> palm branches. They didn't throw him down in front of his feet. They actually hit him with it. And he actually had Levites, priests, murdered. So it actually says in one writing of the time, that so many were killed, there was nobody to say a blessing over the food when they had meals. That's a lot of guys got you know, killed or sent away or whatever. But that's the kind of revolution that was going on. And that's what the kind of Jerusalem that Jesus is riding into. But it seems that the multitude, a large number anyway, a great multitude, are in favor of him coming. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Wow. That's amazing. We see the same thing in Mark 11, 9, 10. But Hosanna in the highest, son of David. It means... This is the highest son of David. And of course Jesus was. He was the rightful heir to the kingdom of Judea, which was the remnant of Israel. And they were proclaiming it. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. So he's of Nazareth and of Galilee. So he's from Galilee, but he's also from this Nazareth. And of course, I have a link there to articles so you can find out more about Nazareth. But we'll get here to verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God. So this is supposedly the temple of God. This way Matthew refers to it, as opposed to all the other temples out there. Because Herod also built a temple of Roma. He didn't go into the temple of Roma. At least I don't know that he did. But I know he went into the temple of God that was dedicated supposedly to God by Herod. We know it was defamed because somebody had been murdered in there. And that they, they didn't even recover his body. They just pulled out a bloody robe that was tied around his waist. And that was Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. Now, there's some debate about that, but I'm I'm going with that. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Because I think that that's what... Because Jesus mentioned Zechariah and the blood. 
And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. Sold and bought in the temple. And overthrew their tables. Turned over their tables. Now, you can picture a guy tipping over their tables. Almost sounds violent. Tipping over their tables of the money changers. And the seats of them that sold doves. Okay, that may be a mistranslation. I'm just saying. May be a mistranslation. That's what I see. Because of the words that we see dove and seats and sold. Because this, because I've seen this mistake more than once. Or at least once very clearly. Where somebody was stabbed on the left side and people think that a dove appeared when he was stabbed on the left side. And maybe that's true. Or maybe something that appeared as a dove. But uh, the same word for left (laughs) and the same word for dove, depending on whether you're saying epi, the preposition epi, or Assyria, can be confused. But the Critical thing there is the money changers. And I have a link there that will take us to who are the money changers and why is he turning over their tables? Because the word turning over actually could mean turning it over to somebody else. Taking, you know, firing them. And of course we see him make a string whip. But we'll talk about that when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in this verse 12 of chapter 21 of Matthew. And Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, a dangerous thing to do, but all the people are like like him. You know, he's been building up a lot of support. And people are, are glad to see him. And they're calling him the highest son of David. And if you know a little bit about the history of the fact that the the kingdom had been divided into three parts by Herod. And each one of three of his sons were to rule over each of those three kingdoms. Herod Antipas and Philip were in these other two sections. But now, who was in Jerusalem? Well, Herod had executed his son that he had put there because he thought his son was conspiring against him. And uh, nobody was sitting there as the rightful king in Jerusalem. That had been missing for years and years now since Herod died. People were looking for another king. And they heard about this Jesus out there healing people and doing great things and and had a ministry that was well supported, that was taking care of the needy of society through a network of charity, which is what John the Baptist had been setting up with his baptism. You know, because we knew, if you knew history, you knew how the baptism of Herod worked. If you got baptized at the laver at the temple, or one of the other lavers that they set up all over the Roman Empire, because you didn't have to go to Jerusalem to get baptized by Herod and his ministers. They sent ministers out all over the Roman Empire to baptize mostly Jews into his kingdom of heaven that was at hand. 
Herod's kingdom of heaven was a system of social welfare, social safety net, just like the altars of clay and stone were systems in the, what I refer to as Jehovah Nisi. Uh, that's what it calls it in the Bible. If you go back there, you can look up. We have an article on Jehovah Nisi because Moses set up uh, this altar of Jehovah Nisi according to the King James. So what was that for? What was that doing? Well, how, how was it in functioning in society? Just like the altars of the goddess of the turtle dove. Oh, how was theirs working? Well, the means and the method were different, but the purpose was to take care of the needy of society. And that bound the people together. This is what temples did. This is why you, if you wanted free bread in Rome, you went down to the temple or one of the little places where you could go and get food that was provided by the temple through the treasury of the temples because in the temples were treasuries. Ephesus was a treasury. It minted coin. But it was also an underwriter of the social insurance for 127 different countries throughout the Roman Empire. All those 127 different countries paid in to the temple at Ephesus. They sent funds to the temple at Ephesus. And if they had a shortfall, the temple at Ephesus would send more money or funds or supplies. They had a lot of ships. They would send supplies to whatever of those 127 different countries was in need. They would help them out. Which if you actually knew what Moses was doing back there when he was setting up his government, he had a thing called a wave offering. <laughs> That's the same thing. It's, it's a There is redistribution of wealth in the kingdoms of the world and there's redistribution of wealth in the kingdom of God. In the world, it's done by force. Men who exercise authority, they do it. They divide the bread from house to house. In the kingdom of God, it's done through charity, through men who serve, not through a hierarchy of power, but a hierarchy of service. This is the difference between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. But most of the people who think they're Christians and following Jesus are going to the benefactors of the world who exercise authority and saying, Dear lords of this system, will you please take away from my neighbor or borrow against the future of my children to provide me with benefits and social security today in my society? Because they're willing to take a bite out of their neighbor in order to have their own bellies be filled. But in the kingdom of God, Moses says, uh, Jesus says, John the Baptist says, we don't do it by force. If you have extra to give, give. Whether it's your coat or housing or food or medical care or whatever, give. Freely give. That's what it said in the Old Testament. Free will offerings. Free offerings. Tithing was a free will offering. You were expected to tithe. But there's no evidence that anybody ever got arrested for not tithing. <laughs> Nobody got sent to jail for not tithing. So, it's a different form of government. 
And every Christian should know what that government looks like and do that. But that's not what they're doing here in in chapter 12 when Jesus enters into the temple. He, he comes in and we know where it talks about in other Gospels where he makes this string whip. He makes out a, a whip out of string, it says. It's not a cat of nine tails, but it's a, it may look a little bit like that, but it's just made out of string. And we can see the same kind of whips in statues of pharaohs and other emperors. They have this little tasseled whip that they have. They also have a hook, a crook, like a sheep's crook. So they have a whip and a crook. So what the crook pulls in, you're hired. You know, I call you, you're hired. And the, the string whip, you're fired. That's what, that's what they're, they're symbols so that you know. Then he puts that string whip across your shoulder and says, you're fired, you're fired, everybody saw it. There's no question like, what did he say? What did he say? <laughs> uh, well, he, he threw the string whip on him, he's fired. And that's what Jesus was doing. And we explain this in great details in the article. If you're at preparing you and you're reading down with me, you can click on the word money changers and we tell you that the money changers were the porters of the temple. Receiving the offerings coming up through this whole network of free will congregations. And they were, the money was going across their table and they were taking an accounting of it. And they could take something of it. Eventually they were taking a clip of it. But originally they were just allowed to eat of the table because they were the priests of the nation. They were the porters of the temple receiving the offerings of the people that was going up to the priests who would then say, okay, I know there's need over here. I know there's need over there because I have this network of ministers giving me information. I know who to trust and I will send it here and I will send it there to help out those different places. It was a way of binding a whole nation together, not just villages, not just little congregations, but a nation because they would need that whole nation when bad things happen. Now, we also know from history, for those of you who study it, that the position of tax collector or publican, as we see referred to here, like the the Matthew that was a publican, they could buy those seats. Now, of course, they had to have money beforehand to buy those seats. Why are, why are they selling those seats? Because they wanted men who were wealthy and trusted to take those seats over because they were supposedly wealthy men are less likely to rob. Poor man, he's going to be tempted by all that money coming across his table. But that's not the way Moses designed it. That you these men take place through the bottom up, through this network. You choose the minister you have for you, and that minister chooses the minister he has for him, and that minister chooses the minister that he has for him, and that's a free will choice, because the choice is in the hand of the individual. And he can change his mind. Every offering day is voting day. You say, well, okay, I want... Because they can't force the offerings... So, you pick the, this minister, you will give to that minister. If you don't like what he's doing, you can give to another minister. You can't do that in the governments of the world. You might be able to elect somebody, but you're stuck with him. And he will send his his Gabai and Mozgai ministers to you to force you to contribute. 
because his system is one that exercises authority one over the other. We just saw Jesus say in the previous chapter, they weren't to be like that. But when you come into the money changers here in the temple built by Herod, the money they were receiving was compelled offerings. It was the Corbin of the Pharisees. The word Corbin in the New Testament appears as Corbin, which means sacrifice in the Hebrew, but it also appears as treasury, which is where you put the sacrifice. But Jesus warns against central treasuries. And if you knew what the golden calf was, you'd know that Moses warned against central treasuries. That's not the way the kingdom works. And not will you put everything in a big vault. The vault is in the pockets of the people. But what's in your pocket is losing value. Because you haven't been doing what Jesus said. You've been doing what ministers said, priests say. But they're... I hate to tell you, they're the congregation or the ministers that, they're the church of Satan, the adversary of Christ. Because they don't want you living by faith, hope, and charity. They call it faith, but you actually live by force from those men who exercise authority. Because you haven't been seeking the government of God, you've been seeking the government of men. And the tables you eat at are a snare. Jesus was taking those tables away from the money changers of the porters of the temple, at the temple itself, because he could do that as king. The high priest could do that as well. We know that from the Bible, because it tells us that back. David could do this. Samuel could do this. They could fire the money changers, and that's what Jesus was doing. If you don't know that, you're going to be confused about what this verse is telling us. Now, you don't have to believe me because I believe that what he's saying there and sold the seats on the left side. Left side, right side, don't let the left side know what the right, don't let the right side know what the left side is doing because the left side is about charity, free will offerings. The right side is about a sword. That's where you carry your sword. That's about force. You're not supposed to use force to collect your charity in your government. And this is what, remember, Jesus' government was a government, but it was a government that exercised love, not force. It didn't force your neighbor to contribute to what you wanted. It gave every one of you, if you want your choice back, you want your rights to choose back, you want your liberty back, you want your exousia back, you have to give your neighbor the right to choose. You know, if you want to have public school, you can have public school. But you got to give your neighbor the right to choose individually to support your school. If you did that, you would not be having all this trouble in your schools where they're sexualizing your children. You would not have all this school problems of critical race theory and all this nonsense. They might actually be learning history. But you chose to... Give the power to men to exercise authority one over the other and force your neighbor to pay for your school and your education for your children. And somebody has seized control of it. Thieves and robbers. You're now operating in debt, that's for sure. And they buy their offices. That's why you get all these notices, you know, like help support our campaign, help support this. That's why lobbyists are... 
out there buying the votes of congressmen. And we can go into that, but we won't get to this if we go into all that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So you don't have to believe that they were selling the seats on the left side. You can believe that, that it was about selling doves. And they may have been selling doves, that's for sure. But of course, if you understood that the sacrificing of a dove had nothing to do with anything having feathers. N- neither did the, the turtle dove have anything to do with anything having feathers. <laughs> They're symbols of something else. The, the same word in the Hebrew for a dove, in, in one case there's more than one word, is a piece of your state. You had to give up something of your own, something that belonged to you as a sacrifice. And you didn't just burn it up. You gave it up. It was like it was burned up to you. You gave it into the treasury to be redistributed in recompense of something you did that may have been wrong. And they jump-started this with a number of different issues. If we, you want to have that conversation, call in on the afternoon show, and I will explain it to you in greater detail. But we have articles up and recordings up already that talk about, go look up Turtle Dove Goddess. So anyway, he says, and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Which is application. I have a whole, I should put a link there. I will do that. Uh, for, cause I have a page about prayer. What is prayer? What is that all about? Prayer is application for something you need. So who do you apply to when you have a need? Do you apply to men who exercise authority or do you apply to men who exercise love? Well, you can't even hardly find the men who exercise love. <laughs> Anymore, because the whole world has gone whoring after the system of prostitutes and fornication and adultery. The systems that operate by pay and money, they don't operate by love. But ye have made it a den of thieves, or at least a den of covetous people. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Well, a lot of people were blind. And a lot of people were starting to see. But a lot of people didn't like what they saw. Verse 15. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying in the temple. And saying, Hosanna, the son of David. They were sore displeased. Well, well, he just fired the money changers. A lot of them are priests. And, you know, they're collecting this money to give to the priests who are living in a more opulent lifestyle than King Herod had even been living. We know that because we've archaeologically excavated their quarters. And they were more lavish than the kings. Well, the, the all the offerings that went up to the priests... They were supposed to go out and wave those offerings back to the congregations, back to the local districts, back to the, you know, where they may have gotten hit by a famine or a flood or, or, or an invasion. Someplace they got hit hard. They sent more aid back to them. That was the reason that fun wasn't so that they could live in the life of luxury. 
You know, like how many of your ministers, you go to these big mega churches and the minister is living in a $10 million home or has a $14 million trust or $23 million uh, ministry where he's got all this money stashed away and he's flying jet set around and fancy cars and gold chains. You know that's not Christ. You know that's not the minister of Christ. You know, whatever he's telling you is probably short of the truth. Why are you falling for that? Because you're blind? He's blind, I know. Are you blind? Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. So anyway, let's go here to verse 15 again. And when the chief priests and scribes saw these wonderful things and was hearing them saying, Hosanna, son of David, they were displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. I have a page that I've added to just this week on praise. And uh, expanded that. So I'll put a link in there so you can go read that. These these pages are a great tool for studying. I can't cover all the, the evidence that has brought me to this, this perception of the gospel in an hour or two hour show. Uh, or in one page. So I've created all kinds of other articles, you know. When he talks about appointing, when he talks about a father, when he talks about a little flock, I have articles that explain exactly what there was. Now he's going to be talking about a fig tree. But we'll read the last verse here in this section. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany. And he lodged there. So he left them. He didn't stay there. And there could be lots of reasons for that. We can only speculate. Or listen to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he'll tell you. Now is the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. He said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away and died. I mean, it's it's like, you know, you need special effects to show what that looks like. The, The leaves all like withered instantly. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? How quickly it withered away. And in verse 21, he goes on and says, Jesus answered and said unto them, verily, I say unto you, If ye have the faith, if ye have faith, real faith, and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thy removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, Believing, ye shall receive. Now, we could go on about what 
prayer looks like, how you pray. You know, because we know from the very beginning, way back, Samuel 8. He says that if you decide to have a king over you, you know, one of those benefactors who exercise authority to provide you with benefits and protection and comfort and all those things. He's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. And then when you cry out, you know, in other words, pray to God, he's not going to hear you. That's what it says. He's not going to hear you. Because you did this. Well, we know that you've all done this. You know, generally speaking, I say all. I don't know about everybody in the entire world. But if we look around, most everybody has governments that have men who exercise authority and take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits today. And and none of that is the kingdom. That is literally the antithesis of the kingdom. You're not living by faith, hope, and charity. You're living by force, fear, and fealty. You're saying, Lord, Lord, in your churches, but you're actually workers of iniquity because you're taking a bite out of your neighbor. And because you've been doing that for a hundred years through legal charity, through systems of social welfare, through the temples of governments of the world, you have been devoured. And now you don't own your labor, you don't own your home, you don't own your children, and you like to think you do. I would like to see that you do. But I know that it requires that you repent so that God will hear your prayers and that you have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which has nothing to do with forcing your neighbors to do anything for you. It's about giving your neighbors the right to choose to help you or not help you. And he gives you a system that he that was put together by the called out to do this. If you think you're in a home church and that you believe in Jesus and you get together and you all talk about how much you believe in Jesus. Maybe you sing a few songs. You say a few prayers. Everybody bends their head. Everybody feels very devout. We're talking about this wonderful character, Jesus the Christ. And and his wonderful story and his wonderful sacrifice. And you're talking about all this and it gives you a good feeling every week. When you do it. But you're still, the rest of the week you go to men who exercise authority one over the other to take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. You're under a strong delusion if you think you're a follower of Christ. You're not following Christ. You're not doing what the early Christians, the Christians were put to death because they would not join such a system. We have the records of the trials that are still available. Of some of these early Christians. And, you know, and what they were doing and why, why Justin wrote his apology. Now it's all in the Bible, like we're showing you. If you're depending on a government of the other nations that exercise authority one over the other to take care of the needs for your family, your parents, your kids, your education, whatever, you're not doing what Christ said. You're doing something contrary to what Christ said. You're not following him. And though you may say you believe, your works say something else. We'll be back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're looking at chapter 21. Now we're in verse 23. And when he 
was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Well, what things? Well, he just fired the money changers. (laughs) So that was a big thing. He's actually, in other Gospels, we see him actually in the treasury teaching. Well, the word there is also instructing. So you could say teaching or instructing. But he's actually in the treasury instructing them how to run the treasury. How can he do that? This guy just coming off the street and he goes into the vault? <laughs> what? What? He's actually, there's the gastrophone, that's one word that's translated treasury, and there's also the other word that's sometimes translated treasury, which is Corbin, which means sacrifice. But there, there's the king's vault, and then there is the supposedly priest's vault. But I don't know that there are separate vaults. There's actually different chambers. We know that. But the reality is, is that uh, they had turned the system of charity that was supposed to be operated through the temple into a system of compelled offerings through the Corbin of the Pharisees and through the assistance of Herod. And he had done this not only for Jews, but he had also done this for Romans, which is why he also created this temple of Roma. So that there was there is this you're either going to be operating according to liberty or you're going to be operating according to force. And so when they're asking them and likewise will tell you by what authority that this is what Jesus goes on to ask them back. Because they want to know by what authority And it says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And so now he asks, The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? Was it just some guy dunking people into the water? Or was he blessed by this spiritual force we call God uh, from heaven? And they reasoned with themselves saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? Because now when they say believe John, believe him about what? Believe him about the fact that you're supposed to take care of one another through charity. Not through force. Because everybody else was doing it by force. Rome was doing it by force. Corinth was doing it by force. Uh, Ephesus was doing it by force. They were forced offerings. Now occasionally kings would put huge amounts of money into these treasuries. And everybody would vote for that king. (laughs) It's funny today. Everybody votes for the guy who takes less out of the treasury, supposedly. Although they all take from the treasury. Then they take from your future because all your treasury notes are borrowed against the future. Because you're all a bunch of extortioners. 
Because you go to the extortioners and say, give us more free stuff. Okay, we'll have to print more money to give you more free stuff. That's okay. It's t- Our kids will have to worry about paying it back. We, we'll be dead by then. <laughs> it's like I know somebody who planted a Lombardi poplar. I won't name names here. Right in front of his house. And we know that in 40 years, that tree will be 100 feet tall or more. And it will have big branches that break off. I've seen them come off and go right through a roof. I've seen them come off and go right through uh, a deck. You know, just punch a hole right through because they, they come down like, you know, spears from heaven. <laughs> and I said, that you put those too close. And, of course, it's an old guy. And so he says, yeah, but I won't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's kind of the spirit that is in everybody today. Yeah, borrow against the future because I won't have to worry about paying it off. But you curse your children. And, of course, Peter will tell you. Of course, nobody will put it together because you take so much of the Bible out of the context of the Bible. He says, through your covetous practices, you will become merchandise. In other words, your labor won't belong to you anymore. It will belong to somebody else. You won't have the authority over your labor and what you produce. You won't have the means of production, which is your labor. You won't own that anymore. That will be in the hands of another. And you will be merchandise. And he also says that you will curse your children. In other words, you will put them into debt. Because you're an extortioner. You want to take away from your neighbors so that you can have free stuff. And by what authority do you do this? Now I'll ask you that. And I'll tell you by what authority you do it. Because <laughs> all authority came from God, right? And we've seen this word authority here. We saw it in verse 23. We see it in verse 24. And um, we actually see it in 23 twice. By what authority? Well, what is that word? Well, that's the word that we see in Romans 13. It's the word exousia. Exousia? Uzia. Uzia. In this course at Hillsdale. And we'll talk about it when we go through that course if I ever get to it. But they say that this is, there's two words, two Greek words that are absolutely essential to understanding the gospel. One is logos, which we, is the word. Which means right reason. Which means the will of God. And the other word, according to the Greeks, and it's a Greek word and that's why they're pointing to And the other word is ousia. Which we see in the word exousia. Which means from ousia. <laughs> and he says these are the two words that are absolutely important. That come from the Greek language that allowed the gospel to be preached. But here's Jesus using this word exousia, which they translate authority. And it is the word for authority. But it's also the strongest word in the Greek language for liberty. It replaces the antiquated word eleutheria. Although eleutheria is also found in the Bible. But you should put the word liberty there wherever you see exousia. And I've done this. I've gone through the whole Bible or the whole New Testament and done that. And it makes way more sense when you put the word liberty. And, and the definition is the right to choose. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean government. 
It means the right to choose. Now, it could mean government if your government has the right to choose for you. It has the right to decide, oh, well, they have to wear a mask if your government has that right. (laughs) Or you have to pay in. And you have to pay in this amount and you have to pay it in by this day. If your government has the right to choose, your government has the liberty to make you do this. And you don't have the liberty to decide anymore. You have less liberty. Less authority. Less right to choose. And so they're asking Jesus, by what liberty does thou these things? By what right do you have to choose to do these things? Fire these money changers. And and he says, well, I will tell you. Now, he got away with doing it, but they, they're complaining about it. They don't want him to be the king. They don't want him to be the highest son of David. Now you're finding out why they want him crucified. And I always say, follow the money, and we'll we'll get to that in the next chapter. And they reasoned with him, saying, if we shall say that it's from heaven, that John had the right from heaven, uh, he says, well, why wouldn't you believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people. For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. We can't tell. They copped out. No comment. <laughs> Politician. No comment. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. He's he's not telling them. But Christ did not make himself king. He was the rightful king. He was following the way of God. The righteous way of God. He was teaching people how to live by faith, hope, and charity. How to love their neighbor as themselves. Your ministers don't do that. They tell you to do that with their lips. But then they tell you that it's absolutely okay for you to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through the authority of governments that are of the world. Because they're not really preaching the government of God. Oh, we used to do that. The churches used to take care of all social welfare. Verse 28. But what... But what... Think ye, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went, and he came to the second son and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. I'm going to go do it. I believe what you tell me to do, and I will go do it. (laughs) And he went not. He didn't actually go, though. He said he would. You see, this is part of that. Not those who say, but those who do. So you got two sons. One who says he won't do, but then does. And the other one who says, I will do, but doesn't. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. They say unto him, the first. Jesus say unto them, verily, I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. That was almost an insult. That's back to that, you know, the eye of the needle thing. Jesus was sarcastic at times. (laughs) And sarcasm is a form of humor. He doesn't mean all publicans and harlots. But if, it depends on, again, back to that love. See, now you... 
you've got Federal Reserve notes, not just weights and measures, and this creates all whole bevy of problems, and it creates a problem with the ownership of your property, and we explain all that in the book, Covenants of God, which is free online. But what we're seeking is the heart of Christ, the way of Christ. Now, the way of Christ, if you were really following the way of Christ, you would have said, well, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That Those are dead notes, and you would have seen that. But because you lived in darkness, the darker it gets, the more you make mistakes and create more and more problems. The more you're tripping over the furniture and you're, you're breaking things and everything because you're wandering around in the dark. And you've broken off a lot of things and it's a real mess. And it's a mountain of messes. But we know that if we have real faith, we can move mountains. <laughs> we can cast them off. But you have to actually want to repent and think differently. And I'm showing you how Christ thought and how the Pharisees thought. How FDR thought and how John the Baptist thought. They didn't think the same way. They, they thought, well, yeah, we'll do this by force. But John the Baptist said, no, you do it by love. And Jesus said the same thing. Everybody should have said to FDR, says, that's not a very Christian system you're setting up. The means and method of taking care of one. And there were preachers who pro- preached against it. But just like people fell for COVID or global warming, they, they believe that narrative and you can believe that if you want. People also believe that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority, yet Jesus said it was not. And that we, the followers of Christ, were not to be that way. But every one of you, you know, the guy in the home church group who said, is this a Roman Catholic thing? Are you a Roman Catholic thing? Because do you think it's okay to force your neighbor to provide for your welfare? To provide for free stuff for you? Because that's one of the things Constantine said was okay. That's why he gave them millions and millions of dollars to start his church. That wasn't Christ's church he was starting. That was his church. That's why 319 of over 1,200 bishops showed up to his meeting. Even though they were ordered by the emperor to show up, only 319 men showed up. I don't even know if they were all bishops. Less than 300 were there by the time it ended. And the next one he called was 150 guys. And most of those bishops were coming from the churches that he was setting up by saying everybody get baptized. He didn't say repent and get baptized. He just said get baptized. And he funded that church with millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars and property and land and buildings that he had stole from other people. That he had forced, he had killed and murdered other people to get. And that church was fine with it. They were okay with it. And occasionally they said, oh, you know, you shouldn't have killed out that entire village. He killed out like 10,000 people. This massacred them. They made him wear sackcloth for a couple of days. But they still took the money. <laughs> Follow the money. No, walking by faith is stepping out of the boat, folks. Stepping out of the boat. boat. You gotta repent. And so we saw this parable. So are you the son who's doing what Christ said, or are you the son who's not doing what Christ said? Are you following the church that says it's okay not to follow Christ, or are you, you know, what are you? For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. 
and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. Remember, Jesus was sitting and eating with publicans and harlots, and they were complaining about that. These were publicans and harlots who were hearing what Jesus had to say. One of those publicans was Matthew. And they started following him. They started seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They were probably there at Pentecost. Verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it around about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen and they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And when the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, What will he do unto those husbandmen? And they say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out the vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruit in their season. Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders reject The same is become the head of the corner. And this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomever it shall fall, It will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parable. They perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So we got through that chapter, but this whole thing about taking the kingdom away from them because they weren't bearing fruit. I have a footnote there that, where we can go to, you know, Matthew 2, 6 in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Art not the least amongst the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor. And it's actually, you know, there, there's an actual word there, governor, that you can look up. Actually, if you're on our page, you know, we have a link right to it. Hego Amai, which is translated governor. But it is actually also the word for count, uh, or think, or esteem, or have rule over. Because Christ was not going to rule over you like a dictator. The laws of God are already present in existence in the world. 
in the universe, I should say, not just in the world, because that will confuse you with the laws of God. The world, the world of men, the world created by men, the constitutional orders, the systems of government, they cannot escape the laws of God. When, when the Pharisees will later on say, we have no king but Caesar, they left the kingdom of God. They said they had no king but Caesar. Caesar was now their son of God. They were out, which created a vacuum, a void, in which the kingdom of God could just walk in because they weren't there anymore. Egypt used to have jurisdiction across the Sinai, all the way across the uh, Red Sea and uh, the Gulf there of Aqaba. They, they had jurisdiction all the way to Canaan. But when their army was drowned there, when the water came in, you know, it didn't come in like walls of water. Everybody thinks that was walls because they saw the movie. But it wasn't, and some of the translations suggest that it was like a wall, but it wasn't a straight up and down wall because they wouldn't have had time. If it was like Cecil B. DeMille said, they wouldn't have had time to take the wheels off their chariots to hydroplane across the water that was getting deeper and deeper as it was coming in. They would have just been crushed. But you find down there in the water, you find the wheels taken off. (laughs) And that's what it says in the Bible. They they took the wheels off. Well, they wouldn't have had time if it was the way Cecil put it. But it's a movie. It's fine. But these little details will point you towards the direction of the kingdom. But it's basically seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a system. A means and a method to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. That's the kingdom of God. It only becomes the real kingdom of God when you let God write upon your hearts and your mind and actually love your neighbor as yourself and love God, which is a giver of life, not a taker of life. But if you want to continue in the way of coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority, if you want to continue in the ways of biting one another, To fill your own bellies. If you want to continue in the ways of eating with great appetite the dainties of kings and rulers, then you will remain snared, you will remain in bondage, and you will go down with all those who go down with the world of bondage. Because we see it going down. We see that coming somewhere on the horizon. It might be a year. It might be 10 years. It could be 50 years. I don't know. I wouldn't think it would be... I'm surprised we've made it this long. <laughs> but it's, I don't want you to do it out of fear. You can't do it out of fear. That's why Christ knew when he came with his message, the first thing he says is fear not. But he did say in Matthew 21:43 that the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, from those who sat in the seat of Moses, and given to a nation, a people, that bringing forth fruits thereof. That was the apostles. Who he says that, uh, I mean, he talks about in uh, Luke thirteen nine, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. The Corban of the Pharisees was not bearing fruit. It was making the people weaker, which is why we have articles on legal charity. You can look up the word divide. I have an article on divide. What has destroyed the black community and destroying the family? I have an article on family. Go read that. Go read an article on the nature of the beast. It's because we're biting one another. We are the, we are feeding the beast. 
with our own appetite for benefits at the hands of men who exercise authority one over the other. And Christ said it was not to be that way with you. And it is not the way of Christ. Repent. Seek the kingdom. Join us on the network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and start seeking the kingdom too. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.